0: Turning your Bible to Matthew twenty one and or follow along on the screen. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey there tied with a and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road, and the crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The city was stirred, saying, "Who is this? Who is this?" The people had heard the accounts of Jesus' works for some time. They had heard of the miracle of Cana, perhaps, or the cleansing of the lepers, or the deliverance and release of the demoniac, the restoration of Bartimaeus' sight, or the restoration of sight to many other others who were blind. They had heard that many cripples had been made to walk that deaf people were made to hear, that those who were mute were given voices. At least twice there were miraculous feedings of thousands using a single lunch. These and many other reports had come to the ears of the people in Jerusalem. Rumors had been spread. People understood that there was something about this Jesus. They had heard perhaps that he taught with authority. They might have known that that the religious leaders were angry with him, didn't like him. But then recently, there was this thing about Lazarus. And what had happened with Lazarus? Well, Jesus had been with his disciples, and he had heard that Lazarus was ill. He waited on purpose. He waited on purpose, and Lazarus died. And he said to his disciples, let's go. We're going to go see Lazarus. He's asleep. Okay, we'll go. And he finally, they asked some questions. He finally said, well, Lazarus is dead. Well, we'll go die with him. I don't know what they were thinking, why they responded in that way, but they said, okay, let's go. So Jesus goes and he meets uh, Martha or Mary on the way. He meets Martha. Martha says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. He comes to the graveside where the stone is there. And he tells them, well, he cries. He loved Lazarus. He cries. And he tells them, move the stone away. Move the stone away. Well, you shouldn't do that now. Not a good thing now. Come on, move the stone away. So they move the stone away and he commands Lazarus and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is raised from the dead and he comes out of the tomb. Well, Something like that's going to cause a stir. And what happens to those people who had been there, who had known Lazarus, Lazarus' friends? What happens to his relatives? What happens to the men who had visited him in his illness, and those who had actually put the gravecloths on him, and who had actually put him into the into the sepulcher, who had actually put the stone there? What happens to them? Well, they start talking. And they go into Jerusalem and they start talking and they start telling people about Lazarus. And the people say, who is this? Who is this? This is an amazing thing. It goes through the town like wildfire. And John records in his gospel that after Jesus goes into the town, or that as Jesus goes into the town, that the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Who is this? This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The crowd was laying their coats on the road in front of him. It's not like us. If I take this coat and lay it in front of your car, what am I going to do afterwards? I might throw it away and go put on my brown coat. Just as classy. Or I might throw it in the washing machine. But they were extravagant because they only had one coat, maybe, if they had that. And they threw their coats on the road and they took and cut branches out of trees and they threw them on the road in front of Jesus as he came by riding on this donkey. And the religious leaders were mad. They heard the people shouting, the people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. It was a parade of ticker tape proportion. Does anybody here know what a ticker tape parade is anymore okay uh, it's, a, uh, it's a it's a it's uh, a a shredder tape parade okay imagine all the all the shreddings from all of your offices combined and And we all took them down in the tall buildings, those great tall buildings downtown Bloomington. And when the parade comes down, we throw the shredded paper out. Okay. They used to throw something called ticker tape. Well, that's what was happening here. They were, they were, it was extravagant. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders were furious. They were just, they were furious. And they, they start this, uh, mutual accusation that's very interesting. They say, you see, you are not doing any good. And you can see them in this crowd pointing at each other. You are not doing any good. You're not doing any good. You're not doing any good. They all had the same goal, but none of them were doing any good. Because the whole world was gone after, had gone after him. Who is this? The people were shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. What does this phrase mean? Well... Someone had started the shouting. I don't know who it was. doesn't say. And the people picked it up because many of them recognized the reference, the reference from the book of Psalms, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. In Hebrew, it sounds just about like Hosanna. Okay? O Lord, do save, we beseech you. Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Save, we beseech you, O high one, great one. So we have a huge crowd of people parading and shouting, save, we beseech you, most high. What did they expect from Jesus? What deliverance did they desire from him? Who is this? Who did they think he was? Well, they might have understood that he was a descendant of King David. So they might have understood that he had a kingly lineage. There were rumors about him inaugurating a kingdom. He had given some parables that they didn't quite understand about a kingdom that he was bringing, that was upon them. He was powerful. He was powerful. He had done some amazing things. He could feed them. He could empower them. He could deliver them from the Romans. He could heal them. He could even raise them from the dead. That's a nice kind of leader to have, isn't it? They wanted hope. Life had been difficult. Deliver us. We beseech you. O Most High, save us. Who is this? They thought they knew who he was. But we know from the testimony of Scripture that even at this time, his disciples didn't have it quite right. Right? How do we know this? Well, we know that from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 6, even after his death on the cross, even after his resurrection, before his ascension, his disciples met with him, and they said, uh, and it says there, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? They still; these were the closest people to him, and they still didn't quite get what was going on. There was still something out, out there that they didn't they didn't get. Is it is it now? Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the throng followed him, saying, "Deliver us!" And what was it that they wanted deliverance from? Well, from poverty, perhaps, from oppression, from sickness, from heat, from uh, fear. From weakness, from hunger, from violence? I think there were many ideas about who Jesus was in their minds as they came into as he came into the city. Remember, for many of them, pretty much all they knew was he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and then everything else they learned they were picking up on the way. Well, who is this? What else did he do? Oh, he's a a descendant of David. Oh. And so they're picking it up and picking it up. Well, he could be very handy. There's a lot of things he could bring to us. Who is this? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so they they marched him into town. And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And then what happened? Well, just a short time later, all their hopes just come back. down to the ground. He's arrested. He's tried. And then he's crucified. Arrested, tried, and crucified and displayed on a cross. And the people watched him, it says. And the rulers mocked him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God. His chosen one, mocking him. Just another dead prophet. Just another hope for deliverance crushed. Everyone there was looking for the answer. They were looking for the answer for the outside. They were looking for a Messiah who saves from circumstances, a Messiah who maybe improves circumstances one who can get you a good seat when he sets up his kingdom. That's the Messiah they were looking for. And they shouted a request, and it was a prophetic request, and it was an ironic prophetic request. Hosanna in the highest, save, we beseech you most high. And little did they know as they watched him hang on the cross and as the rulers mocked him, that that's exactly what he would do. And that's exactly what he was doing. Jesus didn't come to hold earthly court. He didn't come to save people from outside circumstances. When he did affect people's outside circumstances, it was to demonstrate his authority over their inside circumstances. So in Matthew 9, when they bring him a paralytic lying on a bed, he looks at the paralytic and he says, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says to them, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And I hope, and I don't want to say this trivially, some things in Scripture, I just hope in heaven, we could listen to a recording of. You understand? Because you just wish you could hear the inflection of, Jesus' voice as he says some of these things. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. He sometimes took care of outside circumstances to establish his authority over inside circumstances, didn't he? What they didn't see is that Jesus had come to seek and to save that which was lost. That word lost there used in Luke 19 is a word that's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's something like "apalumai," "apalumai," And it's directly connected to the name for the angel over the pit. Do you remember his name? Apollyon. And you know what his name means? The destroyer. Jesus came to seek and to save people who had, you know, got off track a little bit. People who forgot to turn on their GPS system. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were destroyed. lost, destroyed. And they all thought he would save the world by eventually printing currency with his picture on it. But that's not what he was doing at all. Who always gets it right about Jesus? Who always gets it right about Jesus? Well, the people who get it right about Jesus are the ones who know that they're destroyed, who know that they're lost. Sinners get it right about Jesus. They got it right about John the Baptist too, didn't they? Do you remember? Tax collectors and prostitutes came out of the city to repent of their sins and be baptized by John. And he told them what to do as signs of repentance in their lives. Who doesn't get it about Jesus? The unlost, right? The unlost. The unlost always seem to know who the lost are, don't they? Jesus goes to the house of, um, of Simon, and he comes into the house, and this woman comes into the door, into the house. And Simon knows who she is. He's the unlost. He looks at the woman, she's walking over by Jesus, she gets down on the floor, she's weeping and crying on his feet. And then she takes her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair and she kisses his feet, kisses them. And Simon says, don't you know I thought you were a prophet? Don't you know who this is? Don't you know who this is? And Jesus, turning toward the woman, says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Do you think he got the point? Did he get the point? You know what I thought about as I was reading this this morning? The beautiful reality that she got the point. She heard him say it right in front of him. And it wasn't as if she was vindicated. It was that she heard Jesus Christ pronounce her from his mouth pronounce her forgiven of her sins. And that man, I think, got the point. But the unlost know the lost. They just don't know themselves. We know the lost because we always move over on the sidewalk when we see them coming because they're infectious. What do they look like? Well, it depends on who I'm talking to. Depends on who you are, who the infectious people are, right? Is it the people with multiple tattoos and snake bites? People who eat at Golden Corral? People who eat at Mai Thai? People who shop at Walmart? People who shop in high-class stores like Target and Kohl's? <laughs> Lawyers with the exception of Brian Bailey? Fat people, anorexic people, immodestly dressed people, smokers, drinkers, people who hold signs at intersections. We know who the the lost are, right? We know. They didn't get it. He had come to call them to repentance, and he says of them, John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, he has a demon. And I came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. They would not acknowledge who they were and what was going on on the inside. And this is the Savior that we read in Matthew 21. This is the Savior who gets on the, the donkey and he rides in. And think about what he knew as he rode in. He knew they didn't get it. He knew all of his followers were going to abandon him. He knew what the, the religious leaders were thinking. He knew that they were conspiring to kill him. The people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the religious leaders say, tell them to shut up. Tell them to shut up. It's blasphemy. And Jesus says, if they didn't shout it, the rocks would shout it. Which I have to wonder whether that statement was more, ignat, more of an enigma for the religious leaders or for Jesus' disciples. They would both think about the statement and wonder what he meant. One thinking, what do you mean? Who do you think you are? But down inside having this kind of terrible gnawing feeling like, ugh. And the other one thinking, yeah, we're all for you. And wow, that's a little bit hyperbolic, isn't it? But okay. Oh, the patience and long-suffering of Jesus. He rides in right through that crowd, knowing every one of their hearts. They were all open books to him. He knew they all had it wrong. And maybe just a few of them, the sinners, the lost, maybe just a few of them had it a little bit right. Let's go out to the road together, you and I, shall we? Let's stand there with them, the crowds, and let's yell. Okay, one time, so I don't have to make you do it again. One time, Hosanna in the highest. You ready? Hosanna in the highest! What Savior are you beseeching? Who are you calling to? There's a store called Build-A-Bear that my daughter's like. You all know Build-A-Bear, right? You go into Build-A-Bear and you... Well, they start by giving you a a teddy bear skin, which is a little disturbing. (laughs) And then they give you stuffing and you stuff it. And then you go on to... uh, basically clothe and accessorize your teddy bear until you have the bear you desire. It may be a doctor bear or a lawyer bear or a farmer bear or et cetera, et cetera, whatever. We have this idea about Jesus. We have this build a Messiah idea. We stand on the side of the road in the day of our visitation and we yell, Hosanna in the highest. And then we think about all the ways that, that this Messiah will please us and deal with our outside circumstances. Many, many, many ways. In America, it's a big thing. We mix Christianity and patriotism in such a way. There are places, I call them uh, quartet, uh, quartet flag Christians. Okay there are places where there's always a quartet with a flag American flag behind it and it's always this kind of patriotic christianity that's going all the time and so we hear about things that affect what we think is are wrong or disturbing to America but really what we mean is it's disturbing to our comforts it's it's disturbing to us personally because we may lose some money or some liberties and that's not a good thing. I'm not suggesting it's a good thing, but this is how we think. We think, well, of course, that's what Christianity is. It's there to preserve our money and our liberties because those are the circumstances we think we should have freedom in. And so when the government says nationalized health care, we go crazy. And I'm not saying I agree with nationalized health care. All I'm saying is that we associate opposing nationalized health care with the work of Jesus Christ that he's accomplished for us. That we have to be free from it. And so many people across the land want to be saved from it. They want to be saved from Obamacare. And so they stand on the side of the road and they yell, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Deliver us from Obamacare! Many people want to be vindicated over their enemies. Because they have enemies. Anybody here over five? You have enemies. Under five, somebody said in the first service, they're just the bad people. They're not enemies. We shout Hosanna because we want to feel good about ourselves. Give me esteem. We want to live long. We want to live healthy. We want our children to be good. We want our marriage to be good. We want our wife to be better. We want him to give us a good wife. We want our husband to be better. We want him to give us a good husband. We want to be rich. We want to be on American Idol or on The Tonight Show. We want our football team to win. The great postmodern build a build a messiah. We want social justice. Whoa. Let's have social justice. Whatever that is. Apparently it's that everyone who thinks they're right is wrong and We'll have justice when they all realize it. So we're right about that. We stand on the side of the road and we yell, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Deliver us, we beseech you. When my wife and I do premarital counseling, we usually finish the last session with the words, (laughs) with the words, You don't have a clue. Sometimes Stephen's doing premarital counseling in his office, and I just open the door and look at him, and I say, You don't have a clue. (laughs) And it's true, right? Always the older people laugh more because we've, we've gotten a clue somewhat over time. We don't have a clue. We don't have a clue who this is. Who is this? We don't know this prophet. We don't know this priest. We don't know this king. Who was the prophet in the Old Testament who was dealing with a king? And I think this is, I may be getting this story confused. And he told him to strike the ground with the arrows. You guys remember? Who was that? And remember, the guy only struck the ground, was it, three times? Nobody else ever read this in the Bible? Okay, good, good abram Scott, Mike. And so the prophet says to him, well, you should have struck it more times than that because now it's only going to be for three, three decades or something, but you should have just really went at it. We don't know this Jesus. If we knew what the potential was, we would stand there and keep striking the ground, striking the ground, show us who you are, show us who you are, show us who you are, we wouldn't stop if we knew who he was. If we had the slightest idea. Palm branches, coats, nothing. If we knew who Jesus was. A few of us know him a little. The lost. The sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this morning, I just encourage you, exhort you, command you, call out to Jesus Christ. Call out, Hosanna in the highest. Deliver me, I beseech you, O Most High. Because He wants to deliver you, From the inside circumstances, from the wickedness of your heart, because your heart is wicked. My heart is wicked. This is why Jesus came. He came and he suffered and he died and he rose from the dead. And he paid the penalty for our sin. This is the Jesus that we worship. Let's pray.